This morning, we continue in our series in the New Testament as we look at the book of Colossians. We've already learned that Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, is writing this letter. That's what this book of Colossians is. It's a letter that he is writing to the new converts in the city of Colossae. It's approximately 60 AD, and Rome is the great capital city of the Roman Empire. Now, there was nothing really unique or special about the city of Colossae. To the contrary, at the time that Paul is writing this letter, the city itself is in decline. We know that the city is located about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It's along the Lycus River Valley, and this was part of the caravan route. The thing of note about the city at that time is that they were famous for a thick, black, glossy wool. But other than that, the city was very unremarkable. And even though the city is unremarkable and not very unique, there are several very unique and remarkable things about this letter, not the least of which is the prayer that we will consider this morning. Paul, when he writes this, is actually a prisoner under house arrest in Rome. He's in chains and he's guarded 24 hours a day. Now, that that led him there is kind of interesting. On his third missionary journey, he went into many Gentile areas and actually took up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And so when he got back to Jerusalem, he had this donation, this contribution for the poor that were there. His reputation, however, had preceded him, and so the Jews in Jerusalem didn't like him because they thought that he was antagonistic to Jewish tradition and custom. And so when he got to Jerusalem, in part to appease that sentiment, he went to the temple for a ceremonial cleansing. Now, that wasn't uncommon. If you were a Jew and you had ventured into areas where there were Gentiles, you would go to the temple for a ceremonial cleansing. He had some Greeks associated with him there in Jerusalem, and so the rumor got started that when he went into the temple, he took some Greeks in there with him, past the barrier where they would have been allowed. And of course, that was a capital offense. So they set out to kill him. This was completely false. He didn't do that, but the rumor was that he had. In fact, if the Roman officials hadn't intervened, they were gonna kill him there on the spot. This mob mentality escalated to the point that they had to secret Paul out of Jerusalem, and it took 470 armed Roman soldiers to escort him out of the city at night because dozens of the Jews had taken up a oath that basically said, I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna drink until Paul is dead. They took him to Caesarea and there he spent almost two years being interrogated by Herod. Now, once it became apparent to Paul that he wasn't gonna get a fair hearing, as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar 
a very arduous journey, and that's how he ends in Rome. Two years being interrogated by Herod in chains. Now, I don't know about you, if I'd been confined for two years, falsely accused, in chains, I hadn't done anything wrong. When I got my hands on something I could write with, I think the first letter, the first line in my letter would have been something like, help, I'm innocent. Somebody get me out of here, need a little help. But this is not what he's doing. As we'll see, he doesn't even pray about himself nor his plight. Another unique feature about this letter is that he's writing to people that he's never even met. I can't linger here, but I think the point that I want to highlight is simply this, that we don't need to be in physical proximity in order to petition God for his people. The truth, beloved, there is no place on this earth that is too remote where God can't hear the prayers of his people. God's prayers penetrate the darkest regions. They cross across any barrier or border and certainly go to the depths of any prison. Why is he writing? What's the problem? Well, certainly there were some issues of the Gnostics trying to raise that you need something in addition to Jesus to be saved. That's a lie. But in large measure, he's writing them because he's heard a good report about them. Far too often when people ask for prayer, our first assumption is to go to, well, what's wrong? What's happened? What's the matter? As opposed to God is blessing, continue to pray, please. And this is what he's doing. In the passage that we have the privilege of perusing today, we're presented with a letter. And in that letter, there's a prayer from Paul. Hmm. He's not praying for physical issues or material possessions. And it isn't that these things aren't important, they are. But we see in this letter that Paul is prioritizing his prayers for their spiritual growth. He is praying for these new converts and in particular for their spiritual growth. I find it interesting, Paul doesn't launch into teaching or advice or even encouragement outside this context of prayer. I invite you, if you would, please, to look at the text again. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. It's page 983. Turn there, if you would, with me, please. I'm reading at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Now this is a complex section. In the original Greek, verses 9 through 20 are really one big long sentence. And he starts off by saying, from the day that we have heard. And so because of what God has already done, Paul now prays with confidence for what God will do. And what exactly had God already done? Well, he'd saved them. They had come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They received the gift of salvation and the evidence of their transformed lives was manifest in their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. The prayer. In this prayer, Paul is articulating the desire of God that we as believers will grow spiritually, grow in our knowledge of God. Well, how exactly? How are we to grow? There are five prescriptions that are offered in this prayer, and the first is simple and it's subtle, but the first is simply this, prayer. You'll note in verse 9, he says that since we heard, we have not stopped praying for you. This unceasing, reoccurring communication with God. Paul is looking at everything that happens from the viewpoint in relationship to God. How is your prayer life? Do you look at everything that occurs, the good, the blessings, the benefits, from the, the relationship with God. Since we've heard, we have not stopped praying about you. Number two, we find in verse nine, grow in knowledge of the will of God. Beloved, there is always more to learn about God. There's always more to learn of God. There's always more that we can learn from God. God wants us to know his will. This is the teaching of Acts 22:14, And Paul is praying here that they will have full knowledge of God's will as it relates to the call and the cause of Christ. Now, you and I can never complete that goal. But look again at the text. It says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God. Now, this is an interesting word. It's used many times in this letter, and filled here has the connotation of a ship being equipped with everything that it needs for the journey. The connotation here, the translation is, he's saying, I'm praying that you be filled, that you be equipped, that you be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The teaching here is simple. That which we are controlled by or filled by also controls us. That that can fills us controls us. Are you filled with anger? Are you filled with fear? We are commanded in scripture to be filled, that is, controlled by the Spirit of God, controlled by the full knowledge of God's will for our life. And this is every believer's needs to have that knowledge of God's will for our life. The goal is not to simply attain knowledge, no. 
But when we attain the knowledge of God's will, it instructs us on how to act, how to talk, how to behave, how to respond, how to be still. I'm reminded of the illustration if someone came to you and when you were about 10 or 12 years old and gave you a pair of shoes and they were just a little too big. Now they told you, they said, look, this is a great shoe. It's good for all terrain. It works well as a casual or dress shoe. It's guaranteed not to wear out. The shoe's waterproof, it's insulated, it's heat resistant. But wait, there's more. You can walk in this shoe, you can run in this shoe, you can jog in this shoe, you can hike, you can climb, you can swim in this shoe, but you've got to grow into it. And so what he is telling us is that when you came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave you everything that you needed. You need now to grow into it along the path of the journey of your life. When we're reconciled to God, born into God's family by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive all that is needed for growth and maturity. How then can we grow and be filled with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we know the will of God? We understand the will of God through the word of God. I'm glad you're here this morning and we're grateful to be able to minister to many via the internet. But beloved, if Sunday morning is the only time you're spending time with God in God's word, you are spiritually malnourished and you're not growing. Here's what I've learned personally as a pastor, I must be careful. Yes, I am in the Word daily, preparing for sermons, preparing lessons, preparing so that I can provide godly biblical perspective to God's people and his children. But that's not the same as spending time in the Word of God for my own growth, and I must do that as well. The Word of God gives us the general will of God to help us discern his specific will. The word of God gives us the general will of God so that we can discern his specific will in our lives. God's word will never contradict his will. And by knowing the general will, we know how to respond. God's general will says that lying is wrong. God's general will, as revealed in his word, says that your yes be yes and your no be no, and you should be truthful. That is God's general will. When my wife, Lamita, screams out from the kitchen, Larry, did you eat the cookies? <laughs> Specific now. And because I want to be obedient, I respond, what cookies? God's general will, as revealed in his word, helps us with the specifics of our life. Number three, Paul prays that they grow in obedience and holiness. Hmm. 
In the Christian life, knowledge and obedience go hand in hand. Learning and living. We never want to be educated beyond obedience, but we want to take the knowledge that we have and appropriate it in our lives. I know that the trash pickup arrives between 7 and 8 a.m. in the morning. I know that they come on Wednesdays. I know that they will pick up heavy objects. But that knowledge doesn't do any good to empty out the trash receptacles in my house. I have to go to each room and take those bags out to the receptacles in order for the trash to be taken care of. Knowing his will, I can walk with him. And walking with him, I can work with him. My purpose then in life and everything now is to please God. God working in and through us produces, as the passage says, the fruit of his grace and it gives us results way beyond our skills. Now sometimes this takes time. And I thought it worthy just to linger for a moment to talking about preparing for service can take time. It took 13 years for Joseph, 80 years for Moses. Jesus spent three years with his disciples. Warren Wearsby wrote, a newborn baby can cry and make its presence known, but it cannot work. A new Christian can witness for Christ and even win others, but must be taught to walk and to learn God's wisdom before he is placed in an office of responsible ministry. It becomes important to know the will of God as revealed in the word of God and to be discipled as well. Four, grow in spiritual power. I want you to look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Hmm. What Paul is praying that the power available to believers is the limitless power of God Almighty himself. This power that he's talking about is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have not received some watered down version of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that emboldened, enabled, encouraged, and equipped the saints that we are reading about now is the same identical Holy Spirit that provides and indwells in us to provide us the power to serve our living Savior. This is power that he's talking about, very real power that we can appropriate. It's the acknowledgement of this power that caused the prophet Isaiah to cry out, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is 
everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He doesn't grow weary. And his understanding is inexhaustible. You have power by the Holy Spirit. When we are serving, I think it's important to work within that power, to work within the enablement, the power, if you please, the control of the Holy Spirit. We have many opportunities to volunteer here at the Moody Church. You will oftentimes hear solicitations for people to come and help in our children's ministry. Praise God. We have a vibrant, active, Christ-centered children's ministry, and I thank God for the people that had those ministries and services for our children. But if your giftedness isn't working with children, you might not want to do that. This is how people get burned out in ministry, not working within their giftedness or within the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting here that Paul points to two very specific things regarding appropriating this power. He is praying that the power of God be unleashed to give the people of God Christian character, and we see it in two forms here, that they would have patience and endurance. Now, that word endurance can also be translated long-suffering. Patience and long-suffering with joy. Do you see it? What an appropriate prayer for today. We live in a time and in an era and in a culture of criticism. Far too often, criticism is vocalized without any regard to facts or information or accuracy. Now, hear me clearly. There's a difference between accountability and criticism. As we strive to serve with excellence, we should and we must be open to accountability, the desire to grow, to improve, and yes, even to receive correction. But criticism, beloved, is the genesis of that is often hypocrisy and jealousy. And in the body of Christ, he is praying for the power of patience and endurance joyfully. Now, they sound the same. Patience and long-suffering. Well, what's the difference? Patience is the ability to deal with difficult or impossible situations. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Patience is an important characteristic of a maturing Christian, of one who is growing spiritually. I think in my life I can say it honestly, if I cannot learn to be patient, I really don't think I'm capable of learning anything else. Biblical patience is not complacency, nor apathy, or indifference. Yes, we wait upon the Lord, but have you ever noticed it's not talent or training or education that secures victory in difficult situations, it's perseverance. And so, knowing his will, 
patience under difficult situations. You say, well, Larry, what's the difference with long-suffering? If patience is coping under difficult situations, long-suffering, the ability to cope and deal with difficult or impossible people. One is difficult situations, the other is difficult people. You're stuck in traffic. The traffic's not moving. You need patience. The person behind you is blowing their horn. You need long suffering. <laughs> because of his grace and his love, God is long suffering. Long suffering is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And a grace garment of long-suffering every believer should wear. Evidence of the power in the believer's life is revealed in joyfulness. These are connected there where he says, you are to be patient with joy. You are to endure with joy. You are to be long-suffering with joy. That's kind of difficult. A lot of times people say they're being patient but they're not enjoying it. What are you doing? I'm just standing here waiting patiently. <laughs> They're going to open these doors sooner or later. How much longer do you think this sermon's going to go on? Is that patience or long suffering? <laughs> I'm not, not sure. Five thankfulness for being qualified. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is, controlled by the Holy Spirit, we'll be joyful and thankful. Controlled by the Word produces appreciation and thankfulness. Now, the Word teaches us that all good things come from God. And beloved, as we sit in this sanctuary, in this magnificent edifice, we have much to be thankful for. When you woke up this morning, was your car outside? Thank you, Father. You have the gift of air that you're breathing now. Thank you, Father. He woke you up this morning. Thank you, Father. Are you sane and clothed and in your right mind? I'll take two out of three. You say, thank you, Father. <laughs> Are your parents alive? Thank you, Lord. How about your children? Are they safe today? Thank you, Lord. We have much that we could be thankful for, for the very breath that we breathe, to the material possessions that he lavishes on us. But Paul gets very specific here about exactly what it is that we should be thankful for. And he says, that's our inheritance. Our inheritance. And we have, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, a present-day inheritance that we lay hold of day by day, breath by breath, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow, produces good works, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have that right now. Scripture says that he that is in Christ is a new creation. You're new right now. 
He says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you receive that right now. God said that he'd never leave us and he'd never forsake us and that there isn't anything that would separate you from his love. You have that right now. He gives us 24 hours in a day and we thank him for that because with each new day we see fresh grace, fresh mercy, fresh hope, fresh forgiveness. And we don't have to make any of the mistakes we made yesterday and we thank him. You got that right now. You're qualified to receive grace right now, empowered and enabled and sealed with the Holy Spirit right now. Before you came to saving faith, God was your judge. Now he's your father. He's your father and you're qualified to call him father. You're qualified to be sons and daughters of the almighty God, strangers no more, but adopted into the family of God, heirs of the kingdom of heaven, ministers of reconciliation, set apart and ambassadors to the kingdom of heaven, and you have it right now. But beloved, it gets better. We have a future inheritance as well with God in heaven. And that future inheritance will not fade. It will not spoil. It won't be misplaced. Now you have to look at the text again to say, well, how did I get qualified? Did I get qualified for this inheritance because I was kind to strangers? No. Did I get qualified for this inheritance because I became a member of the Moody Church? No. Did I get qualified for this inheritance because I lift my voice on Sunday and take people to the throne of grace by singing in the choir? No. <laughs> Look at the text. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. We are qualified by God Almighty himself. You are qualified by God Almighty himself. We need to put that on a t-shirt. Qualified by God. I don't need any other qualification. I'm qualified by God. And it's because we come to that recognition, it's because we have that understanding that we then are compelled to be thankful, to say, thank you, Father because I know I don't deserve it. Thank you, Father, for blessing me. Thank you, Father, for giving me results beyond my skills. Thank you, Father, for giving me a future and a hope. Thank you, Lord, for truth in a world that says there are no absolutes. You are always absolutely true, and I thank you, Lord. If I were Spanish, I'd say gracias. If I were French, I'd say merci beaucoup. If I was Italian, I'd say grazie. If I was Japanese, I'd say arigato. If I were German, I'd say Dankeschön. If I couldn't talk, I'd say. <laughs> when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and prayerfully express thanksgiving, something miraculous occurs. Thanks 
produces praise. Praise produces worship. Worship produces witness. It's time for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. In acclamations of thanksgiving, when you are thankful, you acknowledge that all things come to your life through God, that you are thankful for him for everything. Your thanks becomes praise for who he is, and your praise becomes worship, and your worship, beloved, becomes your witness because people will see the difference in your life. It's not what you say, it's how you walk, and they will see that as you are grateful and dependent and thankful and growing and obedient. This is the prayer that he prays, and my question for you this morning is simple. How's your prayer life? What will you pray for today? We all need knowledge of God's will if we're going to live lives that please him. We need to take that knowledge and walk in obedience. We need spiritual power in order to be patient and long-suffering. But beloved, you can't have spiritual power without the Holy Spirit, and you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you're saved, and you can't be saved without Jesus. What will you pray today? That that we have looked at is true. There is a place called Colossae. The man that we've talked about today was real. It's true. His name was Paul. Historians record his journey and the fact that he was a prisoner. It's true. But Paul's prayer is based upon this truth, that God had a plan to reconcile humanity to himself, that God came and he walked among us. When he went to Calvary and was nailed on that cross and beaten like no man has ever been beaten before, he paid the penalty for our sins. And when they put him in that tomb, he was dead. And he laid there dead for three days. But on the third day, he rose from that tomb, wounds healed, victorious over sin and the grave, and all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can walk in that victory today and be saved from the penalty of sin. What are you going to pray about today? We come and we gather, and we certainly study God's word that we might grow, but we gather in large part to share the good news. God is still in the saving business. He is still redeeming mankind. 
and he calls you now. You say, I'm not, I'm not even sure how I know it is that I believe what I've heard, but I believe it. The Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. What would keep you from receiving Jesus today, from receiving truth today, from receiving forgiveness of your sins today? Not the right time? You've got things to do? You're not sure? You have doubts? These are the things that you can pray about. Every head is bowed, every eye now is closed. Father, I've said what you would have me to say. I pray that in your sovereignty you would take the little bit that I have and that you would use it to draw people to you. If you're sitting there now and you say, I believe, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I, I want to accept him now as my Lord and Savior. As every head's bowed, every eye is closed, all you really need do now is cry out to him and simply say, Jesus, save me. I don't want to live anymore independent of not knowing you. I want to receive this Holy Spirit that they've been talking about. I want to have that power to be obedient to your word. I want to know your will for my life. I don't want to bounce from job to job and place to place and thing to thing. I want to know why you created me. And I want you to use me now. That's your prayer. All you really need to say is, Lord, save me. Help me. Forgive me. As we sing our closing hymn, our prayer partners will gather, and I'm going to come down. If you prayed this morning to receive Christ, won't you let us know? Won't you just come forward? And I'm not asking you to join anything or sign up for anything. I just want to pray with you. So, Father, do now what only you can do. Equip, enable, convict, call, save. We'll always be quick to give you the honor, to give you the praise, to give you the glory. Now we pray in the matchless name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior and our King, and amen.